look tonight at Romans chapter 10, and we're going to launch there. We're going to be in three main passages this evening. Romans 10, and then we'll be over in a couple other of Paul's letters as well in just a moment. And I want you to look at uh, Romans 10, verse number 8, and uh, we'll pick up there with our reading, and then I'll explain to you what we're going to be discussing this evening. Alright, verse number 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Isn't that it's a wonderful verse? Uh, the simplicity of the gospel, as we talked about this morning, the one way of the gospel. And then look at verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that is a wonderful promise. But there's something else to that promise that Paul's about to attach. He says, this is a great gospel. This is a great truth. But there is a problem. And it is that not all men know this great truth. Because look at verse 14. How then shall they call in Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. In other words, he's saying, How will people have this gospel unless they hear it? How will they hear it unless someone goes and preaches and tells them? Now, you say, did you get your dates confused? Next week starts Missions Month. Uh, but I think it'd be appropriate talk a little bit about our missions emphasis and our missionaries that are coming before they get here so that we are prepared to handle biblically and scripturally the responsibility that God has given to us. Now we have one of our missionaries in the room tonight, so you have to close your ears because you're not supposed to know what we're talking about as a church. But I hope uh, that this uh, mission, uh, we are sending people uh, to tell other people about the gospel of Christ. I'm going to give you this illustration, this story as we begin, and it'll uh, kind of lead us into our title here that you have on the screen. <clears throat> you probably have heard of a man named William Carey, often called uh, the father of modern missions, missions in the way that uh, we know it, in which support is raised for a missionary who goes overseas and gives uh, the gospel to an unknowing, unreached people. <clears throat> and he wrote uh, a booklet or a treatise as he called it, had a long title. It was called An Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of Heathens. Now, the, the book may not be as long as the title, but in it, his, his idea was that of which we have of our modern missions uh, mindset. In fact, those that uh, William Carey was around and grew up around, and uh, we have uh, a religious heritage in our country, and uh, that we, our forefathers were religious, but they, they were also uh, those that came over 
and, and, and did some different things. And those that William Carey was dealing with in England, they were confused on some things as well. In fact, they believed that Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission was given to the apostles alone and not the responsibility of today's local church. Well, it's, that's absurd. William Carey, as he studied his Bible, felt more and more burdened that we should not just be sitting still within our own communities trying to reach just our community, but we are to go and reach the entire world. And he was burdened about that. So in that year, he began, he wrote this booklet, he began preaching a particular missionary sermon from Isaiah 54. And that sermon had two main points. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. That's a good message even today. Expect that God is going to work greatly in those that carry the gospel to the lost and then attempt to carry that gospel to the lost. For the end of 1792, William Carey and his friends established this Baptist Missionary Society, its first organization of its kind in the world. And they sent William Carey and another man with uh, him were sent out in different directions at the same time, and he was sent to India the following year. He served there as a missionary until he died in 1834. So you know uh, there are just over uh, 40 years that he ministered as a missionary. Many people have heard of William Carey, but few have heard of one of his good friends named Andrew Fuller. He said, what does this have to do with anything with us? Here it comes. Fuller grew up in the same kind of mindset. He grew up in the same type of church as William Carey, one in which they felt the Great Commission had been given to the apostles. The apostles spread the gospel around the world once, and then it was the world's responsibility to keep and maintain that gospel in their communities. And so if you didn't have it, you just didn't have it. And that's the way that they thought. Andrew Fuller, like William Carey, felt that this was completely wrong, contrary to the Word of God. So in 1792, as they gathered together uh, to send William Carey off, they had a couple-day meeting uh, in which they were preaching and teaching and analyzing, talking about how all of this missions effort was going to begin. And they said it was a wonderful time, and they had these discussions. William Carey delivered sort of a, a tearful goodbye to those that were there, and then as he sailed away, knowing he may never, ever return, uh, the men that were there, the four men that mainly headed up this missionary society, met with William Carey in a private meeting and told him at one point uh, along these lines. They say, whilst we live, we will never, uh, excuse me, he says, whilst we live, we will never cease to help thee. We will stand with thee until death. And so that was their mindset. We're going to help you. And then Andrew Fuller, a little later, he went and he described this meeting and he described uh, this effort as an analogy. The analogy that he used for missions and sending William Carey around the world to do something that not all of those in these churches could do. He says, it is like we are sending a man into a deep and dark mine. And William Carey, in response, said, if you will hold the rope, I will go down. And, the, and from that, many missionaries have taken that mindset as they have begun their missionary work, is that the church and those that are in the local church and the local body, not physically going somewhere else in the world, are to hold the rope. And the missionaries are going down and going to the mine to find those that Christ will allow them to win. And so the thought that I have tonight is this, that we are to hold the rope. 
How are we doing with holding the rope? How are we doing in our missions effort? God has called every one of us to be a part of reaching the world, not just to give monetarily and not just to be interested in seeing the world reached through others, but actively taking a part in helping reach the world in a physical way, in a financial way, in a prayerful way, in a spiritual way. We are to hold the rope. If we do not physically go, we are to help those that are going. And this emphasis that we're going to have for the next month is this. It is that we are holding the rope. We are sending others because this is God's way. This was God's command. This is not something that William Carey thought up or Andrew Fuller dreamed up somewhere along the way. It's not something somewhere in Landmark's history we thought up. It's a commission that God gave us. It's the pattern that we find in God's Word. And so that makes it important. Not just that it's how we do it or how we have chosen to do it, but it is how God has chosen to do it. It is how God has chosen to spread the gospel. He's chosen to do it through people. And so I just simply want to look at a few passages tonight about our responsibility to hold the rope in this responsibility of missions. Turn, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians very quickly. That'll be our first passage. And then we'll have one other. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. And we will be there in just a moment. So thinking about this thought, how can we help in the role or in the responsibility of worldwide missions as a church within Richmond, Virginia? How can we reach someone in Ecuador where the Tignors are? How can we get someone into Kyrgyzstan or Kazakhstan or into China or Japan or somewhere in the uh, deep, dark um, tribal area of the Amazon or into Africa or into a, a modern uh, but lost society like uh, Dan and Dina Brown in Germany or some that are ministering in some of the largest cities, busiest cities in the world. How can we have anything to do with that? Now, we have a lot of people sick and out different places tonight, but even just looking at this core group of people from our church, how can we reach what is now approaching 8 billion people in this world? How are we going to ever carry them the gospel of Christ? There's 15, over 15,000 what they call ethno-linguistic groups, meaning they have the same language and the same culture. There's over 15,000 of them in the world. Almost 6,000 of them are considered unreached meaning no gospel witness, no gospel influence in their lives. For the last couple of years, we've had one every Sunday in our, uh, our morning Sunday bulletin. Hopefully you've been looking at those and glancing through those and praying over them that God will send someone to them, not just to their country, but to their people. The Bible says of every tribe, of every tongue, of every nation, of every people group, He wants people and will call people to be saved. And so what is our part in this gigantic mission? I'm going to just give you a few practical things this evening <coughs> as we look. I want you to look at verse number 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at what it says in verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, he's kind of listing there. This is not just one person that fits all these categories. He's listing several categories of people. The first one, he says, those that labor among you. 
those that are over you in the Lord, pastors or leadership of the church, whatever it may be, those that admonish, those that teach or instruct you or disciple you in the Word of God. And he lists three different ones there, but notice that first one. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. I want to challenge you with this. How can we hold the rope? We'll just start at a very basic thought tonight. We should think biblically, which to think biblically of our missionaries is to think highly of our missionaries. And I want you to notice this in verse uh, number 13. Well, to start back in verse 12, where it says to know them. That means to recognize, to appreciate, to be aware of, to take note of them that labor among you. Now, we sometimes, in our mission mindset, <coughs> it's easy to forget about the missionaries on a week-in and week-out basis, isn't it? We don't see them. We don't necessarily hear from them daily, though we live in a culture in which it is easier to hear from them than ever before. And William Carey, you send a letter, and it may take months to get back to report. Now we can report in seconds compared to his day. But it's easy to forget, sort of the out-of-sight, out-of-mind concept. But missionaries have given their lives, their time, their ambition, their culture. They've given up their way, their way of life, their families, their children have sacrificed. They have counted the cost and gone to do the work of Christ on our behalf in this world. There is a, it's not just that they have decided to do some crazy thing. It's not just that the Tigners have just up and decided, we'd like to live in Ecuador, so we're going to go there. Yay! This is going to be fun. They're going on our behalf because not all of us can go to Ecuador for a few years. And then we're not all going to go to Spain for a few years. But Brother Chris, how long have you been in Ecuador? Since 21 years about, right? 21 years. How, let me just ask you this question, adults. How old were you 21 years ago? Think about what you were doing Listen to this. Think about what you were doing 21 years ago. Think about what your life was like 21 years ago. Think of how much you have lived, how much you have experienced. And it's not that missionaries don't live and don't experience. It's not that they freeze in time when they go to the mission field. But I want you to think about this. 21 years ago, they've given that much of their life for the cause of Christ. We don't think of that as crazy and we don't we shouldn't, as a church, think of that as second rate. We should think of that highly in the cause of Christ, as high or higher than any position that we can think. In fact, look at verse number 13. What should we do when we think, when we recognize, when we know our missionaries that are among us? Verse 13, <clears throat> and to esteem them. That word esteem means to think of highly. The word is hegongamai. It's the root word for chief or governor. Think highly of them, it says. No disdain. We don't think of them differently. We think of them highly. And then notice this. Esteem them very highly in what? In love. Not just in authority or not just in awe that someone can go and learn another language and minister in another place and adapt to another culture. All of those things are great, and I'm glad that God works in someone's life to be able to do that. But it says, esteem them in love. And so when a missionary comes back and into our presence, and when we think, should be thinking about our missionaries on a daily and weekly basis, how should we think of them? Think of them highly and think of them in love. The word love there is agape, in an unconditional, deep-rooted love 
Why? Because they're amazing? Because they've done some great thing? They have done great things through God. But why do we love them? Because they are going and doing for us what we have not been able to physically go do on our own. They are carrying out the work of God. But notice the end of verse 13. To esteem them very highly in love. Why? Why do we esteem them in love? So that they feel good? So that uh, we lift them up? So that uh, we're impressed? So that we feel good about ourselves? So that Do we lift them up so that we are a missions church? Do we lift them up so that our missions program is strong? Do we lift them up because it's some great deed? No, notice it says lift them up, esteem them very highly in love. Why? For their work's sake. When a missionary comes and visits with us or when they send back a report or we communicate with them, we should esteem them highly in love. Yes, because we love them. Yes, because they're doing a good deed. Yes, because we want to be a missions church. But more than that, we esteem them because it helps the work of God. It says esteem them in love. Why? For their work. Their work is important. Uh, you go and you, let me give you an example. You go and you see uh, um, a soldier. You go to the airport and you're picking somebody up and a soldier is getting off of a plane and going and greeting their family. You know what you do in your heart? You esteem them in love because they went and did something that you are not going physically and doing. They're going on your behalf. And you know when you go and you shake someone's hand and you thank them for their service and you humbly or show them gratefulness for what they've done, you try to do them a favor for their servanthood, whether it's as a soldier or an EMS worker or a police officer or whatever it may be, someone that is serving in that way. You know why you do that? To encourage them to keep doing that work. To encourage them to not quit. To let them know that though others may disdain the work that they're doing, you appreciate it. Why do we do it for our missionaries? Because we esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And I love that this sentence is tacked on to the end. Notice this. And be at peace among yourselves. <laughs> it's like it's the same sentence. It's part of the same phrase. It's part of the same verse. He says, lift them up, esteem them, love them, and then just be unified yourself. Missionaries don't want to come home to a disgruntled church. They don't want to come home where people are at odds. They want to come home and feel the unity behind the work that they are doing in Ecuador or in Spain or in Germany, wherever it may be. They want to feel that in Virginia we are all together pushing their effort in their mission work. So we start by thinking biblically highly. How do you think about your missionaries? Maybe a better question that we could all start with is, do we think about our missionaries? Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we fail in that way. Number two, turn to Romans 15, if you would. (coughs) Romans 15. (coughs) We should help encourage and refresh our missionaries. We're going to have the opportunity to do that for... two foreign missionaries in the next month and two other ministries that we support and then others that aren't going to physically be in our presence, but we're going to do our best to help and encourage them. I want you to look at Romans 15 and look at verse number 14. It says, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you're also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort 
as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God. He says, I, I'm going to write to you boldly and remind you of something. Verse 16, <clears throat> that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. He says, I'm not going to the Gentiles to make them like me. I'm going to the Gentiles to teach them about God. And it's a similar way in which we send our missionaries. We're sending them not to turn them into us, but to turn them into disciples of Christ. Look at verse, eight, uh, verse 19. Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Notice this. So that from Jerusalem and round about to Elysium, I have fully preached. <clears throat> excuse me, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. He gives a great concept of missions. He says, "I'm going to go where they don't know about Jesus and teach them about Jesus." Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have a work in Richmond, Virginia. Do you know anyone in Richmond or Mechanicsville, Henrico, Chesterfield? Do you know anyone in the surrounding area that doesn't know about Jesus? I do. We interact with them on a weekly basis. So we do have a work here. But he's saying, I'm going where no one is there telling them of Christ. And he says, while I go, notice, notice what's about to happen. Verse 22. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. He says, I want to come minister to you. You're an established church. I help plant you. I help minister to you. I want to come and minister to you again. But I've been busy going and telling people that in areas that know nothing of Jesus. But notice verse 23. But now, having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come unto you. For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go to Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of the spiritual things... Their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you unto Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So I want you to think about for just a second. That's a lot of verses that we read right there in a row. So let's summarize. Paul says, I help plant you as a church. You are helping support me as I go tell people about Christ. I have been away for many years. Now I have finished the work where I am. I'm going to a new place in Spain, which to this point, uh, from what we can see historically, had not been reached yet with the gospel. So he's going to a new place to preach the gospel. And he says, in fact, there's two churches, the one at Macedonia, the one at Achaia. They've taken an offering for the suffering Christians in Jerusalem that have no livelihood because they're being per <coughs> persecuted, for <coughs> excuse me, persecuted for Christ. Uh, 
He said, because of that, I'm going to take this offering to them. And when I finish that, I'm going to go to Spain. And on the way, I'm going to come see you. So think about what, what he's saying and what he is desiring here. I'll put it up this way. After being apart, verse 22, for many years, verse 23, I am coming, verse 24. And then notice what he says in the middle of verse 24. And to be brought on my way thitherward by you, thither by you. He says, I'm going to be brought by you. I'm going to be helped by you. I am coming so you can help me get to Spain. I, you have helped me go tell the gospel to others. And now I'm relying on you to help me go give the gospel to Spain. And I'm going to do it. But notice the end of verse 24. If first I be somewhat filled with your company, he said, but first I'm going to enjoy the relationship that we have in Jesus Christ. What a great picture of what missions should still look like today. I have been apart from you, like the Tigners have, for many years. For several years, I've been ministering in another place. I'm going to go back and minister again. But on my way, I'm going to stop and see you. And I would like to be helped by you. But more than anything, I just want to enjoy your company. I want to be refreshed in you. I want to be helped and I want to be encouraged, he says. And that leads us to the third thing. He says, I'm coming in the fullness of the gospel. Verse 29, notice there, and we'll, we'll work our way down. He says, I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Let me sidestep there for a second. He did not say, I'm coming to be analyzed. He did not say, I'm coming to be judged. He did not say, I'm coming to entertain you with my stories of my mission work. He did not say, I'm coming to be scrutinized. He did not say, I'm coming to find out how everyone else does it. He did not say, I'm coming to get all the suggestions, though I'm sure he may have gotten bits of each of those. He did not say that he was coming to hear every detail or to give them every detail. He did not come because they were perfect or he was perfect. He came in the fullness of the gospel because they shared the same mission. And missionaries should come to us for the same reason, because we share the common mission of the gospel. And then number three, notice in verse number 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in what? Your prayers to God for me. So he says, I, I, I need you to pray for me. And then he gives them a specific. Does this sound like a familiar model? Missionary is away. Missionary comes to be encouraged, gain support, to go away and, t and tell the gospel again. And in the letter that he sends back to them, he says, we want you to pray for us. And he gives them details about what to pray about. Verse 31, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. He gives them specific prayer requests, that I may come unto you. He's, he gives them a specific thing to pray about. We don't just talk about our missionaries on Wednesday night or on Sunday mornings to fill time. We do it because the example is there in God's word. He says, pray for us and pray this way. Is it just filling time for us as a church? When you hear a report of a missionary on a Wednesday night, do you really try to enter into that report with them? I'm not trying to over-dramatize it, but do you enter in and try to think about what they're experiencing and what they're going through? And wow, they went back and they found this problem within their ministry and their work. They have a broken heart about somebody who was with them for two years and now has gone astray quickly away from Christ. They are broken hearted about that person. 
I need to dig in and pray diligently for them. That God would encourage that missionary, that God would lift up their heart in love, that God in His Holy Spirit would communicate to them and encourage them in a way and strengthen them in a way that we can't, in a way that our funds and finances can't, and that He will lift them up and do the work through them. These are simple ways to hold the rope for our missionaries. I'm going to run through a couple things very quickly. We're not going to give a verse. We wouldn't have time to give verses for all these, but they're there. We're not going to look up a verse for each of these, but here's some practical ways that this month, during the month of March, you can help your missionaries. And in April and May and June, July. In fact, I, I've intentionally not had as many missionaries right here in Mission Month because did you know that missionaries come off the field other times than just our Missions Month? They do. <laughs> they don't schedule it around our Mission Month. And so what I want to do this year, Dad and I had a long discussion about this this past year, and uh, I, he, very simply, he gave me kind of the, the idea or the vision for it, and I'm going to try to act it out in this way. We didn't schedule as many within the month of March because we want to remember missions all year long, and we want to be able to help missionaries whenever they're here. And so we're going to have them in at different times. If they send us a letter and say, we're going to be in your area in June, come on by for an evening service. Encourage us, and we'll try to encourage you. So we're going to do some of these things, not just in the month of March, but pray about doing them all year long. I want to give you a few things just practically, and we'll be finished tonight. <coughs> if you have a little note section in your bulletin, you can write them down, although it's not very big this week, so you may not have room to write them all. But number one, <coughs> believe supportively. That means when a missionary is standing at the back table, you don't ask them about all the trouble that they've had the last four or five years. It doesn't mean that you bring up the terrible circumstances that you've heard about in their country. It means you encourage them. Don't doubt everything that they're doing. Don't be negative about the work that God is doing in their place or in your place. Don't be like, well, since you came last time, our church is... Missionaries don't want to hear how bad everything is. They want to be encouraged. Why? Because every work that God does is a miracle. And so we're thankful that they're there. If they were there four years and gave the gospel 500 times, no one accepted Christ, but they discipled. Praise God with them in that. And then believe supportively and give them your support and say, you know what, when you go back, we're praying, God's going to do, still do a mighty work in you and through you and through the ministry that you're doing. And we're glad you're here and we're behind you. If there's a way we can help, believe supportively. We already mentioned this, but pray powerfully. And what I mean by that, I'm hitting a second time because pray at specific times with specific prayer. Not just God bless all our missionaries. God bless the Tigners in Ecuador. Help them to cover the whole country of Ecuador. No, help them exactly where they are. God, their letter last time mentioned this man. Help that. We're going to do some things as a church in the next year. I'm going to try to put out a missions booklet for you that kind of gives some detail. Not all of our missionaries can be in there, but some detail about most of our missionaries. And you can communicate with them some, and we'll talk about some of those different things. But one other thing that I'm going to work on is we cover a missionary a week, but I don't have a little missionary prayer journal in our church that maybe we put out once every two months or so, or once every month, and it just has a quick summary of a lot of our missionaries that have sent back letters, and just a couple highlights. The Tigners said, pray for James, because he's eating so much food we can't afford 
to buy enough food for him. <laughs> or whatever it may be. But we're going to put those requests, and then when you get on your face before God and beg God to do a work for you, through them, for the glory of Christ. That's the goal of missions within our church. Give consistently. You say, well, I knew this was coming eventually. You know, I think sometimes we have a negative mindset about missionaries because we attach missionary and money. But guess what? They don't go around just begging and asking for money. They actually have to have it to go do the work that they're going, going to do. It's not their fault. They didn't come up with some idea and think, you know what we need? We need a lot of finance. If there was another way, I guarantee you, if the Tigners could get to Ecuador and minister there without traveling to all the churches and raising support, they would do it in a heartbeat. But here's the truth. It has to be done. And what does giving consistently do? It allows us as a church to know this amount basically comes in every week. Uh, I, I'll say since I've been uh, pastor, well, since I've been even kind of interim filling in, it is very, I'm, it, it's impressive how close to the dollar amount it is per week that missions come in. Every now and then, someone will give extra if they've made a commission on something, but just consistently, it's far more consistent than any other part of our offering. It's every week, and that is a great thing. We'd love to see more in that way, not just because we need more money, but because we need to send the gospel in an even better way than we already have. Don't hide, put this here, don't hide behind a giving church. And that may sound harsh, but we're not shooting for an amount. We're shooting for faithfulness. Do your part. If somebody gave $10,000 to missions on, the, on March 1st, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't still give our missions part the rest of the month. It means we have $10,000 more to give. It means we have that much more that we can do for the work of Christ. Give consistently. And then I'll say it this way. Give sacrificially. It's a little bit different. <coughs> I'm going to ask you to do something kind of weird in the month of March. I'm going to ask you to find something. The way I wrote it down, find something that you consistently do on a weekly basis, even if it's just one thing. And don't do it. If you eat out, for lunch and your business, whatever, five days a week, whatever, pick one day and don't eat out that day. You have a coffee place that you go on the mornings or whatever it may be, one day for that week, don't, don't go get coffee at that place. You have one luxury that you kind of spend on in, in the week, do it one time. You know what would be great? You pull up to the, pull up to the drive-thru at Arby's, look at the menu, pick what you would order, write down how much it costs and then drive away. <laughs> And then on Sunday, put that amount in the offering for extra missions to help bless our missionaries that are coming through. Give above and beyond. Give sacrificially. These missionaries that Paul was referring to, these people gave until they could not physically give anymore. But give in a way, be creative with how you have to be about it. If you've got something sitting around the house this month and you say, I haven't used <laughs> that treadmill <laughs> I don't know that you can sell a treadmill. Uh, I haven't used that. I might be able to sell it for 50 bucks and then give that to missions next month to help our missionaries that are going to be coming through. Give consistently, give sacrificially, <coughs> connect, contact, and help combat loneliness. Remind missionaries that we love and that we care. You know where you'll find a lot of missionaries that you can communicate with them? And we'll try our best to, to put out different things, maybe an email address. We know that some missionaries actually, 
it actually costs them to receive a lot of mail and that kind of thing. And so we'll try to help guide and direct in that. And a missionary doesn't necessarily need 100 emails a day. But maybe in a certain week, we emphasize the missionary and we email that missionary. You know where you can find a lot of them? You can find a lot of them on Facebook. You can find a lot of them on Twitter or uh, wherever it may be on social media. You know when they post, hey, we're doing this today, or even if it's a struggle, the van had a flat tire, whatever it may be today, follow that missionary online, and then underneath it, when they say something, just bombard them with comments. We're praying for you. People at Landmark love you. Whatever it may be, combat that loneliness communicate, connect with them on a regular basis. Remind and remember and remind other Christians of our missionaries. Once you have the burden for missions, share that burden with others. Number seven, <coughs> live, or excuse me, listen compassionately, whether it is in person or whether it's their letter or whatever. It may be a post that they make, but have compassion when you speak with a missionary. Listen to, this is their life. This is what they've given themselves to. Number eight, I like this one, and we should all like this one. Celebrate enthusiastically. Share in their joy. When they come and they give a report, it may not be as quote-unquote impressive to you as the person that came the week before, but it's still God's work, and it's still a miracle that God is working wherever He is working. So with them, celebrate in joy. Encourage them enthusiastically that you are thrilled that God is doing a work through Landmark, by Landmark Baptist Church through them in their place in this world. And then the last two may not be as common to all of us, but we're going to work on these. Visit humbly. Go. We're going to try over the next couple of years to organize a few things where we can get to a missionary or two with a small group from our church. We don't want to take 50 of us to, to a place as great as that sounds. We're going to help you do a mission work and your house will never be the same. You know, whatever it may be. But if we have different groups that want to go, if you want to go help, we want to go help Nathaniel Inslee put a roof on a church in zero degree weather in Wyoming or whatever it may be. We're going to go help the Tigners. We're going to go help whoever. But it does, and you know what? You don't have to have some great crusade of a work when you go. You know what? Going, maybe your biggest effect in going, is just going and encouraging them. Just sitting with them. Eating a meal with them. Letting them know that we love and that we care. Some, some may have more opportunity to do that than others. You may have the means to do that more than others. You may have a better opportunity. We may be able to do some things as a church to get that opportunity. And then number 10, if the church is going to keep missions work alive, they have to keep sending missionaries. So join courageously. I put this quote at the bottom. There's no age or stage when God stops calling. He may call, and I hope he does. We have some teens interested in some things with missions right now, and I hope that God calls them to the mission field out of our church like he did Chris Tigner like he did Danny Walkity, like he did others. And I hope he calls them out of our church and that we to send them victoriously off to the field and try to encourage them in their ministry there. But it doesn't have to be teenagers. It doesn't say that God's going to stop working in somebody's heart. If he hadn't called you by 21, he's not going to call you. It never says that. This may be the part where we feel a little uncomfortable, but we need to analyze. And we may come to perfect peace that God has not called us to go wherever it may be. But the truth is He might have called us. Is your heart open to do what God wants you to do within this ministry?
Are you ready to encourage? And as we enter into our missions month, is it just another missions month? Are they going to ask for special offerings? Are they going to ask for special things? Are they going to have this missionary or that missionary? At least we don't have to listen to Pastor James preach every single week. At least there's that. (laughs) Whatever it may be. But we should be excited. Hey, for the month of March, we're going to hear what God is doing in Ecuador. We're going to hear what God is doing in uh, Bolivia or Bulgaria. We're going to hear what God is doing in Germany. We're going to hear what God is doing through Leighton Spinney in Belize and have a chance to help him with a project that he's trying to do right now. We're going to hear about a camp that Jack Ferguson works at pretty much every week. He goes up and does different things there. They're trying to get it off the ground to win people to Christ and see young people called more to the mission field. That's a mission field of itself. And we're going to hear and we're going to take that in But then what are we going to do with it? Are we actually going to do something? Are we going to take part in it? More than just, here's my $10, taking part in God's mission in this world. Every about, just for a moment, I want you to think, what is God calling you to do? So I know physically I cannot go, but you can support. You can pray, you can believe. You can give consistently. You can give sacrificially. You can connect from your home, sitting on your couch in your living room. You can encourage a missionary that's doing God's work. You can remember and then remind other Christians. You can speak to young people. You can lift up missionaries as heroes. God knows that our young people and teens need better heroes than our culture is giving them. We could make our missionaries our heroes. You celebrate enthusiastically and you just pray powerfully. I wonder if you think about in your life, what what have you been doing in the work of missions? What could you do more? And as we start this missions month next week, may we come together unified. God's given us a special unity in this church these last few months. May God use that. May He give us uh, this holy motivation and this constant momentum to see his work done not just for ourselves but to reach out to our world maybe god's laid something specific on your heart tonight that you can do and commit that to the lord and you take part because he didn't call some to missions he called all of us to win this world for christ